welcome to the Daughters Project podcast. We're so glad you're here. Join us this season as the sisters, along with Father Harrison Eyre, explore what it means to live with a sacramental worldview. You can find out more about our work at thedaughtersproject.com and on social media at Daughter St. Paul. Enjoy today's episode. Hello and welcome to the Daughters Project podcast. I'm Sister Nancy Usselman coming to you from Los Angeles, and I'm with Sister Danielle Victoria and Father Harrison Air. And where are you both from? I'm hanging out in our mother house in the sound recording studio in Boston. And I'm in Nanaimo, BC in my rectory. Awesome. <laughs> Wonderful. We're all hanging here today, virtually connected. And um, this season, we're sharing about the themes from Father Harrison's book, Mysterion, The Revelatory Power of the Sacramental Worldview. And today's episode, we're focusing on the church as the place of faith and communion and how the church is a place where we encounter Christ and the sacramental worldview. But um, before we get into the heart of this important topic, we have some fun story just to share about life in the convent. So I'm going to tell this little story and, you know, every one of us, I'm sure, can have a funny story that happens in chapel, in a church, in a parish, and crazy things that happen, you know, in all the beauty and and reverence that happens during math, there's always something crazy that happens. <laughs> well, this is a story of one of our uh, communities and one of some of our sisters in, and they were going to regular daily mass at a cathedral in this particular city. And one of the older sisters, she would always sit in the same pew and write on the aisle every single day, the same spot. And so, and all the other sisters kind of would line up next to her on the other side. But there was this gentleman who was just kind of a little bit off who <laughs> would come in right, right up next to sister because she was in the aisle and bang on the pew right in front of her just to annoy her. And then he would continue on and sit in the very first pew. And he just like banged on the pew. And it would irritate her so much. And he did this every single day. So he, and every time she would jump out of her pew, like almost like she didn't expect it coming. <laughs> so, and the other thing that he would do, everything he, she, he did just kind of annoyed her. And the other thing he would do is that after, you know, the, the reading, the scripture reading, he would yell out really loud, Gloria TB Domine. And she's like, why does he have to do that? You know, because he's not responding like everyone else. He has to respond in his own way. And she's like, wow, why does he do that? And she goes home and she's always talking about him. Like it really frustrates her. So every day this would happen day after day after day. Well, one day she sits in the same spot. He comes in, he bangs on the pew and she jumps you know, all like disturbed by what he did. He goes and sits in the front pew and mass begins. And as the priest says, you know, the or the reader says the, the word of the Lord and 
before he can, she yells out, Gloria TV Domine. And he's so shocked, he turns around and looks at her like, what just happened? <laughs> and everything, and the nuns in the pew just like laugh hysterically, <laughs> realizing she said what is unheard, what he always says. And they go home and they said to her, sister, did you realize what you said? She goes, what, what? You said the words that he said, Gloria TV. She goes, no, I didn't. <laughs> They're like, yes, you did. <laughs> and forever after that, it's like she just like just kept quiet. <laughs> she didn't complain again after that. It's at that point that you start calling her sister Gloria. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Exactly. It's like when you hear a song that you really don't like, you know every single word. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, it's yeah, it's uh, it's always funny because yeah, when you're a priest, there's always um, there's always one or two parishioners sometimes like that who uh, like to make their responses known and <laughs> often not on pace or in communion with the rest of the That's parish right. during mass. And so, as a priest, like what I will do sometimes if like I I, if I was I remember in one parish, one guy was always trying to sing louder than me, so I would just <laughs> always sing louder than him and tune him out because he let's just say his voice. Uh, wasn't pleasing to the ears. <laughs> oh my gosh. So he'd be like, Hallelujah. And I'd be like, oh, no, no, no. I'm just going to sing well and louder and, and uh, just tune it out. <laughs> I love it even when you're in like in, in the church and, you know, people are praying the rosary before mass or something. Like they're in all different paces. Hail Mary, full yeah. of grace. And then you have the Hail Mary, full of grace. So, and it's like, okay, wait, I, I don't even know where to follow. I, yeah. I'm not quite sure what's happening here. <laughs> oh, uh, the life in the church, right? It's exciting. <laughs> oh, well, well, today we have such a wonderful topic that, you know, as Father man. talks about in his, in his uh, book on the church as a place where we encounter Christ and why we need the church. And I think this is such a wonderful topic because it kind of follows upon our last episode on when we talked about modernism and how modernism kind of causes us to have this very individualistic worldview um, and how that can be an obstacle to um, seeing the church. And I really love how you talk about this father in the, in the book and, you know, and especially this comment about what without the church, we cannot have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And maybe we could talk a little bit about that because I think this is really crucial to people of faith today, but also those who proclaim that they are Christian or proclaim that they are Catholic, but do they really believe this? And I think this is a really crucial topic. So, mm. so let's kind of get into that today and, and talk about that within the context of our individualistic culture. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think I mentioned in the book, like I, I've always been struck. I remember reading through the baptismal ritual one day and we always ask parents, what do you ask of God's church? And usually you hear the phrase baptism is the response, but actually the ritual gives you two options. And I was always struck by this. But the second response that parents can give on baptism, when asking what you ask of God's church at the ritual for baptism is faith. Mm -hmm. Faith. 
is what you ask of God's church, which tells you something already. It's something given by Christ through the church, which is the communion of all believers in communion with Jesus, um, and that the church mediates, makes present the gift of faith. That It's a theological virtue. It's not mm-hmm. something we earn or have. So faith is not this individual, uh, I believe, but it's rather a gift from God to, like uh, uh, Ratzinger uses this beautiful phrase, faith is sharing in the vision of Jesus. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. I love that phrase. I love that definition of faith. Right. It's it's being lifted up into Christ. It's something that so it's not something I have on my own. And so I think like sometimes like uh, we we can confuse faith with belief. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. They're different things. Mm-hmm. Belief is mm-hmm. more of an individual thing. It is my own personal thing. But then the church, if I'm given faith, what does faith do? If I'm sharing in the vision of Jesus, well, then that means that my encounter with Jesus only happens through the church. I don't have I don't have this separate me and Jesus only relationship, mm-hmm. but rather the only way I have a personal encounter with Jesus is through the church. That's the communion of believers, the liturgy, the sacraments, everything that the church gives us for the life of faith in the society of the church are means of encountering the person of Christ. So my mm-hmm. personal relationship with Jesus is lived out, yes, in the sacramental life. It's mm-hmm. lived out in reading the scriptures. It's lived out in prayer. It's lived out in that encounter with other Catholics. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. that Catholic that that person who anoints <laughs> sister was a means to a personal encounter with Jesus, right? Because right, exactly. person, we, we we often we often confuse the word personal with individual. Yes, and they're not the same thing. Because to that's be right. person means to be in relationship. Right. Exactly. Right? Mm-hmm. I can't. I mean, that's in fact. I mean, I'll, I'll just spin it out for a quick second. Um, in the in the development of the doctrines around the Trinity. Mm-hmm. It's how we even come to a sense of the word person as we understand it today. It's a theological right? word. It's yes. a theological word. It, mm-hmm. it, it, it's original word. Like mm-hmm. It comes from the dramatics, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the persona was, was the mask that would be worn in dramatic plays. But it became developed as this thing that is, is in accord to... Um, yeah, it, I mean, I, yeah, I don't want to get too much into the theology, but that each... It, when they're trying to say, how is... God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They said they're persons. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And through that, the church came to understand what it means to be a human person. But mm-hmm. if the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are only who they are in relationship to each other, mm-hmm. then so it is as persons. We're not, yes, we are individuals, uh, but we're not individuals separate from others. We're only most ourselves in communion with others. Right. And so to be a person is to be in relationship with others. You, you can't help but think, of the great story That's of the right. conversion of St. Paul, right? Mm. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? That phrase, I mean, that becomes the basis of all of Paul's ecclesiology, his theology of the church mm-hmm. as the body of Christ. But it also is a way of Jesus saying, I identify with the church. To persecute mm-hmm. the church is to persecute Jesus. He is the head, we are its members. And so there's a great identity between Jesus and the church. They're not the same thing, but there's a great communion mm-hmm. um, and, and, and fellowship. And so mm-hmm. to encounter Jesus, it's not in this direct fashion of just, I'm going to have my own little personal um, interior prayer experience and that's it. But no, 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 no. It's always through something, right? This is mm-hmm. why we wanted to talk about modernism last week because it's mm-hmm. it's that's right. that's the problem is this throughness that we encounter Jesus and the church is, is instituted as the means of this. 
Well, I think that's so interesting because it hits on so often, I think, where people get tripped up as they hear the church and they think institution and something mm -hmm. incredibly impersonal, in fact, imposing mm -hmm. um, in so many ways. And so, like, what do you think about that when we misunderstand that relationship and we miss the intimacy and that incredible eminence of God and how personally connected he is through church to us? Um, what do you think we're missing there? Like, what is what is that? I think part of it is because at the we we we, we uh, there is a tendency to anti institutionalization nowadays. Yes, um, institution is actually important, right? It is important. It's actually vital. Like, and again, something Ratzinger really tries to argue for a lot in his writings is institutions an element of the church. It's not the whole thing though. Right. It's also charism is also an essential part of the church. So that kind of because to be human, we need institutions. We need forms and structures. Those are all important to us. We have um, structure and everything and government exactly. and education and everything. We yeah. need institutions. Yeah. <laughs> the problem is when institution is no longer formed by charism right. and preceded by it, mm -hmm. that it becomes dry and ossified. And so when people think of the church, they think of institution in this kind of dry, mm -hmm. old, ossified sense. And Sometimes in their encounter with the church, that's true. Yeah, right. Yeah, right? right. The yeah. church is always in need of reform, always, mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. she is made up of sinners. And so when people are thinking of that, like in a way, I don't blame them sometimes because that's if the church is a sacrament of salvation, if the church is the means by which Christ is made present to the world, well, sometimes the church can become an anti-sacrament through her members, mm -hmm. right? And so people get a false sense of what the church is meant to be through that. When we when we emphasize bureaucracy to the point of ignoring charism and the spirit to an excessive degree, then that's a bad experience of the church. People think, oh yeah, it's just institution, right? So it's not. So that experience isn't always wrong, but at the same time, it's then can you be open and can the church be open to reforming herself to saying like. She is institution, but she's also more than that, governed by the life of the spirit. Um, and can we be reformed to that? And can those who have had maybe a bad taste in their mouth be open to receiving the church as she really is? Mm. I meet so many people who are confused by this, even Catholics that go to church regularly mm -hmm. who are thinking of themselves even as faithful Catholics, but they don't understand that the church is necessary, is the necessary means for salvation, is in the church. Uh, and and I think even they understand maybe to some degree that they that baptism and faith are found there in the church because you have to go to the church to be baptized. But I wonder if sometimes there can be this disconnect between an understanding of the, the need for the church uh, for uh, salvation. It's the sacrament uh, of, for our salvation and this personal relationship with Christ. Do we just go there because it's the institution to go to and that's where we f are to find faith or, 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 or somehow do we not really have that personal faith, you know, where it just becomes an action? And I, I think about this, you know, in the movie, The Godfather, you know, and Michael is is at the baptism of his nephew and the beautiful scenes, amazing scenery that Coppola does. This is like brilliant filmmaking 
when Michael's Cordelia on his uh, is at the scene of his nephew's baptism, and you see it cut to other scenes where he's um, the other guys are being murdered from the other crime families, and as he's as that's happening, he's saying as the Godfather to the nephew, saying, "Do you renounce Satan?" Yes. It's like the actions, but where is the personal really relationship? It's like this total disconnect that's happening. And um, not that this is happening in every person, you know, Catholic, but I mean, sometimes it does. And I, I just think, how do we, how do we marry this personal relationship with Jesus and recognizing the need for the institution of the church? And I know you talk about this a lot. And, you know, mm -hmm. faith, faith is saying yes to God. Faith is, means that we are accepting this gift that the Lord is giving to us, the gift of faith. But we're getting, receiving it through the church mm -hmm. and in the church. Mm -hmm. So um, how do we talk about this, the need for the church? It's a tough one in a way, but I think, you know, because there is there is just a lot of experiential intellectual barriers that make it difficult and i think in a way we've not done a great job at forming people in this um i think sometimes we even um appropriate other forms of evangelization that don't take this seriously enough that you have to talk about jesus you have to talk about the church we, like we made the church almost like um a nice appendage instead of essential to those. And that's kind of why I wanted to write this chapter is to say like, no, no, you can't talk about Jesus without the church because of his phrase to Saul. Yeah. <laughs> that Jesus has, if Jesus is who he says he is and you, and you believe this, then you have to allow yourself to incorporate into the church. Now, the church is not just, it's literally every baptized member, including those who aren't in communion with us, right? Like right. our separated brothers and sisters. They're part of the church. They're just not in full communion. They're not living the full life of the church. But baptism literally, um, it, it connects you. It, 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 it grafts you to Christ himself. Mm -hmm. Even if you might not believe that yourself, some because some traditions have different views of baptism, um, that's what baptism does. And so yes. you are made a mm -hmm. member of Christ's church but you might not have the fullest expression of this. So yeah, there are some barriers to it, but I always just look at it this way. It's like, can a child grow up without a, without being like alone and, and, um, and be formed alone? Can they, uh, if, if, if child's born, you just put them in the house and let's say you're on your own for the right. rest of your life. It's impossible, right? right. It, a child needs to be nurtured, taught, mm -hmm. disciplined. And that's a hard one in the church. People don't like that <laughs> fact that the church can discipline. Yes, she can discipline. Mm -hmm. um, discipline, um, instruct, love, care, nurture. A family is, is essential to the raising of a child. A child cannot be raised otherwise. And what does baptism do? It makes us children of God. Yes. Right? What is the church? But... I mean, I know it's a little cliche and a little hokey in a way to say, but what is the church but God's family, mm -hmm. right? We are made his children. He is our father. And so we need a family to be nurtured in the life of faith. It's why mm -hmm. when someone comes to be baptized in their adult years, they have to have a sponsor. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They need someone who can be directly involved in their lives. This is why we have godparents. 
It's because to say this job of raising in the faith is not just something a parent can do on their own. They need the, they, they not only represent like, oh, this person's special in our lives, but they represent the church as well. Right. Um, And there are some pretty strong questions put to godparents when uh, they're asked, like you're saying, you renounce not only the, the, the creedal stuff and the renunciation of sin and Satan, but are you willing to aid these parents in the raising of their child in the faith? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you're saying yes to that. And so you're also representing the church as a whole by bringing up this particular person in the life of faith. And so my simple argument is just as we need a family to raise a child, we need a church to raise us who are children in faith. Mm-hmm. I mean, John loves, I mean, John in his letters loves to use different language. He has those three. I speak to you children, right? Mm -hmm. It's like those three stages in his letters and children's kind of at the lower end, but that's where most of us are at in our life of faith. We are still children. We're still learning. We, we or St. Paul talks about eating solid food and, and, or drinking milk, right? We also start the milk stage. We need of infancy. We we need to be nurtured and cared for and, and even have our kind of hand held and guided towards true freedom and true growth. Yes. And that's what the church exists for. And that's why, and Jesus knows this, it, this idea of you can just come to faith on your own. You can do this all on your own. is just a lie that right. is contrary to scripture. That's why it's amazing in the sacrament of baptism. Uh, you know, I, I went to, I was at one parish, this was a while ago, and the the priest, you know, baptized the baby actually by complete immersion. So Ooh, <laughs> baby, that's a tough one. Nothing on, he's totally stark naked, uh. and he goes into the baptismal font, they dunk him in and as he pulls him out the little baby the priest holds him almost above his head and says here is a new member of our church let us welcome him into the faith and it was just like the Mm. whole place erupts and i was like wow i never heard of a baptism like this before but (laughs) it really made it the baby's like (laughs) screaming like crazy but it's it was like such a beautiful experience. Baptism is a wonderful sacrament mm-hmm. to experience, but, and sometimes it happens just on the side on a Sunday afternoon when nobody's there, but he did it in the middle of a, a Sunday mass where everybody was present. And it just made it, everyone realize what a great gift that we're embracing this mm-hmm. person into the faith. It was just such a tangible experience of communion for me watching this and seeing this happen and poor baby screaming because <laughs> he's still naked and he's being held above the head. I really love that. I love that when baptism is done in the context of the whole church and, and in front of the whole church. And I always get super emotional around like being present at a baptism because it's like the capacity that's being given to this child to enter and to discover who they fully are and who they are. And like, I think about my nieces and nephews who are struggling in their identity in this day and age, and they have to like declare their gender and their, like how they identify their pronouns in public schools. Like they have to, it's a part of just their school system. It's a part of what they do. And so they're faced with having to make sense of these things. And I'm thinking like the gift that parents are giving to, to open up this capacity for them to receive the divine, to, to receive the grace that they're going to need to navigate the world um, is so huge. It's like, you know, they're being wrapped with a heavenly host, you know, yeah. in, in, um, in baptism. And they're giving like the best chance, you know, like or they're, yeah. they're really being given everything. 
um, in that moment. And I think that it's also to think of like that they're receiving the grace that they need for those challenges that they're going to be faced with anyway later in life. And I think that that's what I keep hearing in this chapter, especially um, in this moment. It's like, it's such a profound challenge. One quote that I, it's kind of long, but I'll just read part of it from your book, Father. It's like, when people try to impose their own particular will on the church, it's often a sign that they haven't gone through the crucifixion of their wills, whereby they submit to Christ and allow his truth to purify them. And then you go on to speak about unity and like, so many of us are, you know, had a journey of really seeking authenticity, but maybe through all of the wrong things. And that's the real tragedy is that like, if you don't discover life in Christ, if you don't get your hands dirty in the good work of being challenged by the crucifixion and, and enter into the Paschal mystery in your own life, those little mm -hmm. deaths or even big ones, like you don't get to discover who you are. Right? Mm -hmm. Really? Yeah the core yeah. of it that's the challenge of our culture because the culture is very much to be on your own it's very individualistic and and i love it how you said even this individualism can be in the church and when mm -hmm. it's in the church when it runs rampant we have a church constantly at war yeah i think that's such you know when you look at the situations in our in our culture in the world um, and in the church, and even in the church, it's factions sometimes. You know, uh, there's different views from one extreme to the other extreme. And and I always just say to people, I say, you know, stay in the middle. That's where the church is. The church is in the middle. We're not on any extreme. We're not in any faction. Like this is this is where truth lies, basically, in me individually. Uh, no, it's in the church. It's with the church. Um, maybe we could talk a little bit more about that too, you know, as, as we see the, the struggle in our culture and in our world. Yes, yeah, so, uh, there's two things. First, in a way to answer Sister Danielle's comment, when we talk about the Marian stance, this is going to be so important. Mm -hmm. This openness mm -hmm. towards receiving as a gift as like really the primary stance of life. <laughs> Mm -hmm. that that childlike mm -hmm. astonishment is so important mm -hmm. as a starting point and i think that's the beginning of the answer it's that you don't you actually don't create yourself identity you receive it mm -hmm. right which actually then flows into this whole like individualism because yeah like this is the thing and this is one thing i've always i gotta just gotta be careful how i say things i guess but um it's something that i've noticed as a strong problem in the church is that I do not think we realize how much we've allowed the fruits of modernism and individualism to impact our vision of faith. Mm -hmm. Oh, I believe it. I see it. Right. I see it too. I see it too. I mm -hmm. see it in manifold ways. And I don't mean this as a judgment. I Because I, no. I don't, I think most of the time people don't realize that that's what's happening. Mm -hmm. um, but it is. And it's, it's, so you see this in like, well, I want the mass to be this way and that way. And, mm -hmm. and there is like, <laughs> it's, it's a free, the ideas of submission to authority just don't exist anymore. <laughs> right. You want to do something as a priest and you're going to get 15 different comments about why this isn't the right way, how you're a horrible priest because you're doing something this way and not the way they like it and, and everything. So like that's, but that's it. This individualism creates a sense of preference, mm -hmm. right? Yes. Mm -hmm. And preference. That's the word. Yeah. 
preference um, has has been twisted to come into like it gets manifested as a twisted sense of obedience, but it's a it's an obedience to self rather than to the mm-hmm, church. Mm-hmm. And so people don't have this sense of of obedience to the church. Like I mean, okay, I will use one. It's a tad polemical, but one example, just because it's easy to speak as abstraction. But listen, over the last year, uh, there was massive debates about some of the bishops um, refusing or um, restricting communion to just being on the hand during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. But like, A, Rome said bishops could do this. And B, receiving on the hand. Now, you could have discussions and debates about why the tongue might be preferable or not or whatever. That That's a whole other discussion. But... In the end, the Pope has said bishops have the authority to do this, and those who bishops who chose to do it had it within their authority. And receiving on the hand has always been a legitimate means, at least in the last 50, 60 years. Mm-hmm. But some people said, no, those bishops are wrong mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. I don't get to receive the Eucharist the way I want to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I know people who have refused to take the Eucharist because they have to receive on the hand. Mm-hmm. And I think to myself, where is your obedience to the church? I'm sorry, like I just, I'm sorry to be blunt, but it's just the facts. As a priest, even, it's like you you interact with your bishop. And I'm sure it's the same as religious sisters with superiors. Yeah. Right? Um, you want to do something. You might even think that the way they're going about it might not be the best way. I'm sure you guys have no experience with this at all, right? Not at all. No. Not at all. Right? Are just perfect. kidding. Exactly. <laughs> no sarcasm. Why are you holding up a sign saying sarcasm? <laughs> just no, but it's a little like, smirky com- and comment. Listen, no, and I don't say that. But it's like, but I don't. I'll, no, I don't know a single priest who ever agrees with everything their bishop does. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Of course. But I will speak my mind. And I hope my, I always say, I always speak my mind to my bishop. He'll know what I think. But in the end, it's his decision. Mm-hmm. And I have to be okay with that. Because mm-hmm. I, and there's a few things with that. Because I trust that Christ works his grace in the church. Even maybe the bishop was wrong in his decision about a prudential matter in the church. In the end, Christ is going to work through that because mm-hmm. Christ is with his church. When a superior makes a decision, it's like that's what Christ is still going to work with that. When a priest makes a decision in his parish, it might not be the best, but you know what? We do what we can because we are we are, like it's about accepting our limitations. But instead, we've allowed preference to be our dogma, and we presume that what I prefer is the universal is the universal truth of the church. So anybody who does not abide by my preference is a heretic. Right. Is not true, and this goes on both sides. Right, <laughs> right. This goes on both sides. This is not just a communion on the hand thing. It's also mm-hmm. music, right? Right, and so on and so forth. These are but. When we've allowed, like when I've made decisions in parishes, it has, there's the odd, I'll be honest, there's the odd time it's about preference, but it's like very small. It's more about like, like maybe it's been musical taste. I really don't like this hymn. It's going Mm -hmm. to interrupt my prayer. Please just don't sing it. But most of my time, my decisions are, no, this has nothing to do with, like, I remember I've, I've banned hymns in my parishes before, (laughs) but we love this hymn. I'm like, it has nothing to do with preference. It's literally heretical. Exactly. <laughs> you cannot sing this. It, well, it teaches I, bad theology, right? Right. So we've allowed this preference idea to take over, and it needs pre- – that can only die when we take on that Marian stance we're going to talk about next right. week, which right. is, is this openness of heart, this contemplative stance towards the world, this, op- this 
willingness to receive as the fundamental act of being human. Ratzinger loves to talk about the over-masculinization of the church mm -hmm. that we do and make projects and plan before allowing the freedom of the spirit and to be mm -hmm. open to the freedom of the spirit to receive first. That over-masculinization manifests itself in preference. Yes, it does. Wow. That's in so interesting because you were speaking earlier how it creates war in the church and yeah. you're really talking about weaponizing the liturgy or whatever, you know, yeah. insert here, mm -hmm. whatever thing involves the church, but it also um, can be turned that around. And the inversion of that is self-preservation where yeah. we can isolate and say, I'm not responsible for my brother. And either way, you're being disconnected from the body of the church, you know, from, from being responsible to enough, to one another and for, yeah. and with one another. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And again, it's self-referential. Yeah. Yeah. We have the only life to live is a life for, right? We have to use that uh, preposition, right? It's, it's a for living for like man cannot find himself except through a sincere gift to self, right? That to live, to be is to give yourself away and to receive like if it's both of those at the same time, that that's, that's agapic love. But it means that I have a responsibility towards others. Because like one of the ways this other ways manifest out, there's an over concern with our own salvation mm -hmm. and a lack of concern with the salvation of others. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And where evangelization uh, fails. Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. Vatican II was trying to emphasize that to right. bring the evangelization back to say that yeah. we are, by our very baptism, called not only ourselves to salvation but to help bring others to salvation yeah and that's really important that's what catholicism is it's not just and you say this but it's not just about the i it's about the we exactly <laughs> yeah. and we have to emphasize the we and yeah. and in our culture that is so individualistic this is yeah. a really a difficult point for people but also an essential point in yeah. catechesis and this is where the church has an opportunity because I think in some ways, especially over this last year, we've seen the failure of the overemphasis on individualism in the mm -hmm. eye. Mm -hmm. We know what individualism leads to, um, and it sucks. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's painful. Um, it, it, I, I mean, I'm speaking from my own experience. I, this has been a very hard year mm -hmm. for someone who's an extrovert who loves who gains energy in life by being with others. Mm -hmm. I haven't been with others much at all. And that's really hard. And so like this isolation leads to the logic of individualism. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think most people realize, wait, wait, that doesn't work. And so the church is an opportunity to be really herself as a communion of faithful in Christ, whereby we live with each other in our strengths and in our weaknesses and see in those things as something to bear with one another. Mm -hmm. I, I think I think you guys talked a bit about this on your first season of your podcast, right? About like yeah. in religious life. And I really mm -hmm. love that because I thought that's it. But that's what every parish should be like. Like I'm I am I know my weaknesses very well mm -hmm. and I'm very aware of them and I know how they manifest themselves. And it's my prayer and hope that I can teach my people to say, yeah, can you live with my weaknesses? Mm -hmm. And can you, and can I live mm -hmm. with yours? And can I find ways to build you up and strengthen you in those? Because that's where mm -hmm. grace works. And when people see that, that's healthy. I, I always hesitate to use the word community because it's just so, it's it's used in such a banal way nowadays. Mm -hmm. That's why I like to use the word communion more. Um, mm -hmm. We 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 show what real life shared life in Christ is like, 
And that becomes attractive for people because they say, wait, there is life. Wow, that person's dealing with addiction and everyone knows it, but they love him all the same. That family's having a really hard time, but man, look at all those other families bringing them food and everything while their kid's sick or, or that fam they're, they're having struggles in the marriage and those other couples are going to see them. We need to find ways to foster that shared life, right? It, mm -hmm. it gets back down to that early church, how the, the Romans saw the early Christians. Look at how they love one another. Love mm -hmm. does not just mean look at how much they give, but look how much they can bear with one another. Mm -hmm. yeah. Think about what Jesus has to bear with us. And they, and it's like, but that, that he bears that with us so that we can also bear that with one another and mediate again, right. make present that, that love that bears right. and that mm -hmm. lives with. If we can do that, man, like just that, if parishes can just become that, my gosh, like we're going to set the world on fire because people are going to see something that's life-giving. Exactly. I, yeah, I love how you're saying that the we does not destroy the I. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's one of the marks of the church. You know, yeah. unity, one holy Catholic apostolic church that we stay in the, in the creed. It's, un, it's united. It's one. And it's, it, that comes also um, present in the sacramental life, especially in the Eucharist, right? When we come together to share the one body of Christ, to come and participate in that union. And you mentioned that, you know, this, the church is the sacramental worldview. That's where we encounter the sacramental worldview is right in the church and especially in the Eucharist, uh, which is that sacrament where we participate physically of Christ's body, blood mm -hmm. and soul and divinity. St. Augustine has that beautiful phrase, Christian become what you receive, right? But Jesus as himself unites himself with the whole church. And so that's why we call it communion. And I mean, I, I'll be honest, this is my biggest hangup of where we've failed in catechesis. We've treated the Eucharist as an individual, like, token. Oh, yeah. Hmm. Rather than the means of building communion. It's called communion for a reason. Not just It's not just about your communion with Jesus. It's your communion with the church. It's why, if you are in serious sin, you ought not to go to communion, right? It's why, if someone's living a public and moral life, I ought not to receive communion because it's a sign. Like, to receive communion, say, I am in communion, at least as best as I can be with the whole church. When I'm receiving Eucharist, I'm not just receiving Christ individually. Yes, that's part of it. I'm receiving his sacramental presence, yes. But I'm also receiving, if you will, the whole church. Mm -hmm. And I am immersing myself into the whole church. Mm -hmm. By receiving communion, it's not, it's not just the, oh, I got my Eucharist, it's all about me moment. Yeah, that is part of it. Christ delights in us. He dwells mm -hmm. with us. It's a beautiful gift for us. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And we should delight in that. But it should also lead us then to give away. Mm -hmm. Right? If all we do is receive the grace and hold it in for ourselves, then that grace dies. Right? Mm -hmm. You're not watering mm -hmm. the ground. The seed doesn't grow. Right. Only when you die can you live mm -hmm. is the great paradox of the Christian faith. And so only when you give will you truly have. Those who already have, even what they have, will be taken away from them, mm -hmm. right? That's that's the warning Jesus has for us if we keep the Eucharistic grace to ourselves. Mm -hmm. It's not meant to be. It's meant to be given away. It's meant to give us the grace and the strength to live the life of the church out in the world. So that, like, we're, you know, we're not always, like, preaching Jesus on the street corners, but that maybe we're saying grace before meals in the office. Mm-hmm. We're talking about, what'd you do on the weekend? Oh, you know, I went to church, took my kids to catechism. We had a great potluck with these families in my church. 
just making it an ordinary part of your life and in your conversation. Or our public life. Yeah, and our public, our public life. life. There is no this private life. I can, I'm, I'm, I'm Catholic in my private life, but in my yeah. public life, I don't. I, I don't impose that on anyone else. Yeah. It's like that doesn't make any sense. That makes no logical sense because if right. you are living this and saying you are in communion with the church and you believe what the church teaches, then you are living that in your everyday choices. Yeah. You cannot dichotomize. Yeah your faith mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. that is also a fruit of the catechesis we did around the eucharist in the 30s 40s and 50s right where it was we, we did emphasize the individualistic side of the eucharist like there's a reason mm -hmm. this morality kind of comes mm -hmm. out of this right mm -hmm. and why people think like it's why for a lot of those people who say something like that they don't they can't see they can't see the the problem mm -hmm. because it's what they were formed in mm -hmm. right and it's it's a failure on our part as a church to recognize this is why I think like Vatican II is just such a gift that just hasn't been unpacked yet oh, yeah. because mm -hmm. this is everything it tries to correct. And like, again, all that stuff around the individual rece reception of the Eucharist mm -hmm. is important, but it needs to be fleshed out in the we of the church. Mm -hmm. One of my favorite theologians, Ali Lubavac has this beautiful study on mystical body of Christ. Oh, that's the most beautiful thing. reflection. Right? Yes. Yeah. And he talks about the three bodies of Christ, the historical mm -hmm. body, Christ in heaven, mm -hmm. the sacramental body, in the Eucharist and the mystical body in the church and how in, up until about the 1300s, they all meant this, that one word meant the three things at once. When I receive the Eucharist, I am made a member of the church and I'm in union with, with Christ through the church. Mm -hmm. And that's what we need to kind of rediscover and sure. bring back in. It's how the early church understood the Eucharist and we're getting there, but it's, it's, um, but yeah, like, yeah, this me and Jesus only, no church, mm -hmm. or me and the Eucharist only, don't care about the church. Those days have to go. Yeah. <laughs> or even being spiritual but not religious. Exactly. That's yeah. a whole other thing because that doesn't make yeah. any sense either because then you're dichotomizing the person, saying we're only spiritual beings. Or we would, don't have a body too. Which, which I've always, which <laughs> I've always, yeah, exactly. But not only that, I've always loved it because it's actually a religious statement because what is religion but to bind ourselves to something? And they're binding themselves to a dogma. <laughs> exactly. Of spiritualism. And so they're actually right. being incredibly religious. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I like to say something like that back. Sometimes I just yeah. have to hold my tongue. <laughs> I know, I know. It usually doesn't bear fruit, but it helps to clarify the cobwebs when we hear it. Yes, least. it does. No, but it's, it's interesting to see the pattern that is like we're cutting ourselves off from one another really mm -hmm. like really like that happens over and over as you enter into sort of this modernist thinking and relationship to the church you are not actually being as connected as you can be to your brothers and sisters if, if you go out into the world and it's not and who you are is dichotomized and compartmentalized. Like you're not sharing that with your brother and sister. Like you're mm -hmm. not acknowledging that we need mm -hmm. sensible signs and realities to express what is insensible. It is not overtly apparent to our senses that it is supernatural. Mm -hmm. And you are that sign and symbol to someone else. Your family is, your living mm -hmm. of your faith it allows, I know in studying um, the vows and that like in my own consecration as a religious without families and married life, I don't know how to be. Yeah. I don't mm -hmm. exist. Yeah. You know, I need to see fruitful marriage in order to know how to live my consecration. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And we're dependent on each other in that exactly. way. Mm 
Mm-hmm. So, but but first comes comes marriage in that sense, yeah. you know, as yeah. the model and the sacrament for me yeah. because my consecration is not a sacrament. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, it's different. So, like that's, yeah. that's well, who mine we are is. in the world. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, like how you lay your life down for the church in yeah. Jesus Christ in the church. Yeah. Um, you amen. know. <laughs> uh, sorry, I, I just had to tease there. Um, but no, but it, yeah. <laughs> but but you know, that's actually what I always say in discernment. Because you know, people say to me, "Oh yeah, I think I want to call it religious life." I'm like, well, what's your feel? and like sometimes people will not have a strong desire for marriage. I'm like, no, no, no come talk to me. Like we got to work on that first that's before right. we figure out your religious vocation, because mm-hmm. otherwise your religious vocation is not going to work out. Because exactly. there will come a time there will be suffering, and you're going to think, "I wish I got married," and you're going to mm-hmm. leave. So. Mm-hmm. You can't, you have to deal with that now because mm-hmm. discernment, all like I always like to say, we're, we're naturally made for marriage. Mm-hmm. Like that, that's what we're built for. Mm-hmm. God gives a special call in the heart to draw us out of that, to call us out of that to religious life and priesthood. Mm-hmm. Um, and and uh, by the way, just with the tease earlier, um, however, the sisters actually rel- live the councils and I don't. So they are actually <laughs> living a higher way of life, even though I have a sacrament. Um, but, uh, <laughs> um, but anyways, but yeah, but you're you're going to have to, you have to, you, you can't discern religious life without first recognizing the natural call in the body yes. to marriage. Right. And, and that, again, but that's part of that sacramental vision. It's like, yeah, no, like this is everything is through something and that the church, and yeah, like you said, sister, like our discernment happens through the church. Like that's how I came to, my conversion experience was a little special, I, I recognized, but my discernment was incredibly ordinary. It took me up until my internship year of seminary to realize this is where I want to go. Mm-hmm. And here's the other fun part of it all. It's like, and in the end, I am dependent on a bishop to call me to orders. Yeah. Like, I need the church to verify my vocation, yes. right? The church exists for the good of everyone. And we, right. so that's like, we need to see the church as a gift and not the burden and barrier. Now, I'm saying all this. I absolutely recognize how people like we were talking about earlier see the church as a barrier because with, you know, yeah, especially what priests and bishops have done in the past with the abuse crisis and everything. Sure. Absolutely a barrier. Again, that's why I was saying like the church can be an anti-sacrament at a time. Mm -hmm. She can be a witness against herself. Um, But it's, but we always need to remember the church exists. Like, that she's not just those bishops, those priests, those people who mm-hmm. did those things, as horrible as it is. And it requires justice. Like, I'm not trying, I, I would never mm-hmm. in a million years downplay any of that. Mm-hmm. But the church is also not just them. Mm-hmm. Right? The church is Christ. I think, I, I uh, you know, I've seen people who have been victims in some of this mm-hmm. who still love the church. Mm-hmm. And they'll say, this is it. I know that bishop who made that bad move isn't the church. Mm-hmm. He represents the church absolutely, but he's not the fullness of the church, and that helped them. You know, there's wounds and stuff, but it's so I, I'm trying to like I just trying to say like I'm not trying. We have to also recognize there is sinfulness in the church too. She's not in her members. She is both holy and sinful at the same time. Right. Mm-hmm. The only person who is holy enough to uh, to really live that is Mary. <laughs> That's yeah. why she's the mother of the church, right? She's the Amen. true disciple that we yeah. all look to as the example to to really follow in uh, in that life of perfection that life of holiness and um she is the perfection of what 
of the church of what, mm-hmm. what the church is all about and yeah. and that's leading us right into our next episode <laughs> on the yes. marian stance but as we conclude this episode on the church and the church is where we find faith and communion uh and is the sacramental worldview through us i'd like to uh conclude with this prayer by blessed james alberione uh to the divine master for the church so let us begin in the name of the father and of the son of the holy spirit amen Amen. jesus divine master we adore you living in the church your mystical body and our sole ark of salvation we thank you for having given us this infallible and indefectible mother in whom you continue to be for humanity the way the truth and the life We ask of you that those who do not believe may come to her inextinguishable light, the erring return to her, and all people be united in faith, in a common hope, in charity. Exalt the church, assist the Pope, sanctify the clergy and those consecrated to you and all the laity. Lord Jesus, our wish is yours, that there be one fold under one shepherd, so that we may all be reunited in the church exultant in heaven. Jesus, Master, way, truth, and life, have have mercy mercy on us. us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. So, wonderful chatting with you both today, and we thank you all for joining us today for this episode on the church. And we look forward to you coming back for the next episode on the Daughters Project podcast. So we hope you have a wonderful day and a beautiful week. And God's blessings be with you. God bless. God bless. Thank you so much for listening. This podcast is a fruit of the Daughters Project. This initiative of the Daughters of St. Paul to spread the gospel online is made possible by our generous Patreon supporters. Consider joining us in our mission by contributing to Patreon today. You can find us at thedaughtersproject.com and on social media at Daughter St. Paul. God bless you.